Sahana Vavatu Sahana Bhunatu Sahavir Yankara Vavahai Tejas Vinavaditamastu Mavit Vishavahai Hey everyone, it's Peg Mulqueen, but before I get to today's episode, I want to share a bit of good news. Two weeks ago, we as a yoga community joined with Together Rising to help get those babies who were torn from their families at the U.S. border back into their parents' arms. And in just a few days, we managed to raise over $25,000 You know, in a world where I feel like we're constantly bombarded with bad news, it's easy to feel helpless. And in particular, it's been heartbreaking watching what's going on with those poor kids. But I gotta tell you, the outpouring of loving support from teachers and students, it's left me with this renewed sense of optimism and determination, which is good, I guess, because it looks like Our work is far from over. Now, if you want to get involved, you still can. And remember, everyone who donates to Together Rising through Ashtanga Dispatch will receive an exclusive recording of a lead primary class featuring Ashtanga yoga teachers from around the world. It is a true eclectic mix of both familiar, well-known voices with some perhaps newer to you. Each person like each pose, is different and unique. Yet when threaded together, the result is one rich and powerful practice. To donate and download your class, please go to ashtangadispatch.com backslash rise up. That's ashtangadispatch.com backslash rise up. And every time you practice, I hope you'll be reminded of the meaningful difference that we make when we rise up together. Speaking of coming together, let's move on to today's episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast. The following is a recording from Still Point Yoga's annual spring gathering in London just this past May. For the past six years, Scott Johnson has been bringing together teachers and community in this unique synergy of sharing yoga through both practice and joint discussion. This year's group included Scott, Greg Nardi, Kia Nattermeyer, and me. The topic? Power, lineage, and how this method is currently shared. Whoa. All of today's hot topics right out there in the open, unscripted, and with an audience. No doubt, this one was tough. But you know what? These are topics also pretty close to my heart because I do believe that we're on this verge of a huge paradigm shift. Even though I admit, I don't really understand what it's going to look like. For example, take the role of social media and online teaching both of which feel as confusing as they are useful. In fact, I've been chastised for offering so much online content that seems to fly in the face of Parampara, that person-to-person transition of knowledge. And yet at the same time, I get an email from someone stationed in Afghanistan who relies on these podcasts for any sense of greater community, inspiration, just to know that he's not alone. Not to mention this episode itself, right? The spring gathering, the whole spring gathering, it's set up to be this personal and intimate experience. And yet there I am offering questions received from the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast group on Facebook and recording for a future episode that'll be broadcast to thousands, which just goes to prove there are so many sides to every topic. So many ways of seeing and interpreting things. 
But just like the lead primary class recorded for the kids, I believe that when we're able to bring together each of our unique understandings, limited as they might be, what we end up is with something much more rich, powerful, and whole. And I suppose that's exactly why Scott Johnson brings together such a diverse group and doesn't shy away from difficult subjects. As he says, it's about us all having a voice that can be heard and valued. And so while I can't promise you any answers to the difficulties our yoga community is currently experiencing, I do see this discussion and others as a good starting place and somewhere we can perhaps all move forward together. I have to laugh that this first question came on Facebook. <laughs> I don't know how many of you are part of you. If the, I have a women's group on Facebook that um, we, we focus on women in practice, and that's basically it. And so I opened it up to them because they're a nice, safe group, and um, they always have great ideas, and they're very involved, and I trust them. <laughs> so this is one of the first questions, and it, it's just ironic that it came to be on a Facebook group, right? So it is this. As a home practitioner, this is something I yearn for each day I step on my mat. I'm not sure exactly how to frame this, but she actually does a good job. But I'd be curious what they'd, you'd say about the passage of knowledge online that has become almost the norm now. Online channels, YouTube tutorials, my Instagram. Um, my understanding is that a parampara is a very sacred in-person passage from teacher to student. So how does this work with all of the indirect teachings still from like seasoned teachers? And she does name Kino because I think that's like somebody who primarily does do big workshops and a lot of online, right? So this didn't exist when I was coming up through the ranks, but it certainly is a part of our world today. So I'd love to hear from either Scott or Greg to start. Who wants to be, should you choose straws? <laughs> no, that's me. No, that's you. Yeah, that's you. And, and I was delayed too. <laughs> so we first. Yeah. So Greg's gonna start. What do you think? I guess I want to. Because you're always online. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's super interesting because um, I've been very strongly ambivalent about social media for a very long time. Um, I don't hate it, I just have, I, I question the underbelly of it. Um, I see so many people talking about how it's inspiring. I hear from people who are primarily home practitioners who don't have access to teachers, and so I think that's wonderful. Um, I also worked very closely with Kino for a long time, so I watched that all happen. Um, so I, I see all the benefits to it, but um, it's always troubled me. Um, and I'm really trying to get into it. <laughs> like I've made a commitment to myself to actually try because I want to have this, uh, I don't want to be ambivalent anymore. I want to know one way or another. And so I'm going to see if I can do it with integrity. Um, and I started working with a social media coach, actually Amanda and I uh, have started too. And one of the first things that they said was, um, know who you are, you know, be authentic and uh, know what your boundaries are. And I thought that was really good on our side because, you know, so that's my big experiment is to see if I can engage with this platform with uh, integrity, with authenticity. Um, that being said, I do not think that it should replace a relationship with a teacher. Um, so for me, for example, I didn't always have a... A daily teacher to go to. I spent a lot of years doing self-practice. But what I would do is I would find teachers that I would build relationships with over time and I would take trips to visit them. And so you don't need somebody to babysit your practice every day, you know, but I think it is really important that you have a relationship with someone who gets to know your practice. Um, I think that Parampara, I have come to define it a little bit differently um, than sort of a dynastic sort of uh, passing on of lineage. I think of it more 
of an embodied transmission, you know, sort of like that metaphor of a, you know, a candle can light many lights. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I think that we need to go, you know, we need to have that candle that, that lights our light. Um, I think we need to have a relationship that, um, you know, can, can help us to see, you know, you, you can interpret stuff that you see online in any way. So it's not enough to just see it and, you know, you, you sort of need to then have somebody who can say, yeah, okay, well, maybe you got this part of it right and maybe this part is wrong and, you know, these types of things. And I don't think it needs to necessarily be one teacher, but I think that that relational thing is something that can get lost online. And that's my only fear about it, um, is that, that it will come to replace that. And I don't think that that would, I don't think we would, that would benefit us. Uh, so I think of it like a prop. You know, I think you should have your home relationship, but that doesn't mean you can't have friends. You know, it doesn't mean that you can't learn a lot through online resources and things like that. But, you know, there's something about the relational quality um, that comes out. There's this spontaneous um, thing that happens in relationship. And I think that that is hard to get through, through media, my opinion. I mean, yeah, that pretty much, like, um, I'd catch, I'd carry on with what you said. That's about right. I mean, I, I look at, look, but if you look at the internet and it's like, I mean, it's like the new form of reading. <laughs> it's like, you, know, you can read, like we say, you read yoga from a book, but find a teacher. Um, but you can still read books, right? You still get a lot from reading books. And then the internet for me is, is uh, and online stuff is, formed into that new kind of reading or new court for medium for which I gather information. Except now it's very visual. I can learn even more because I can watch things and the visual context is really important. Um, but like, yeah, I'm with Greg, they're trying to find, I mean, I, 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 I remember trying to search out classes like I, because I wanted to find the personal relationship that you got. Um, when I was just about 12 years ago, when I was working in London and stuff, I'd go, if I was working, I'd go try and find a studio. And, and there's something about going beyond yourself to try and do that that is also about waking up. Yeah. It's easy to, um, it's easy to, I mean, it's a good thing. It's that the online thing is a good thing. Wealth of information is amazing. But there is this thing about really committing to finding uh, with someone to learn from or, or somewhere to go where we're like this, like where we are now. Um, because that, there's, that wakes something up inside of you. Um, and I remember every time I found something, I had to make it work. And I wouldn't be the person now if I didn't have to make the teacher I am now or the practitioner I am now, if I didn't have to go deep and go, no, I've got to find, I want to find somewhere. Um, so what we got is we've got this easy option and, it's, it's a, and for some people it's a necessary option because they're, you know, perhaps they're somewhere where that doesn't have that. But that's why, you know, there's a, so many people doing now retreats and stuff like that. If you connect with someone online and you really connect with their work, then perhaps take a trip and go and see them. Or, you know, or, or how can you actually connect with, because it's just someone going, I'm telling you this here, but actually what happens if that was real? And I think there's something very much about taking that next step, really find what's the next step? What do I need to do? And that for me was like, ah, oh, I know what I need to do. I mean, I, I, I'm a, when I went to see John Scott, my teacher in, um, uh, in New Zealand, I had to make the biggest jump. Like I had to really like throw caution to the wind. And it's the best thing I ever did. <laughs> um, but... Or I could have started, couldn't have done that because I'd have gone, oh, you know, uh, and I just kept reading his book. So I knew who my teacher was. I went there, um, and that for me was really powerful. So I think it's, it's a good thing, but I think there's so much more. And then the other thing is that it encourages performance of yoga. Mm -hmm. You know, like not not practice of yoga, but performance of. And this is the kind of underbelly that I feel is, is kind of baked into the medium and that's where my big experiment is going to come from here to see if I can kind of figure out how to do that and I might say you know what it's not it's not possible but hopefully we can crack the code you know and I, and I think that maybe all together we'll be able to crack this code over time I just hope that it doesn't come to replace more relational intelligent individualized teaching just uh, picking up that point from Greg I think it's um 
really important for us to be conscious of the imagery that we're using. And there was a, a recent article on Elephant Journal about um, the kind of commercialization of yoga. So it's being critical of the commercialization of yoga. It was about this whole Cody copyright dispute. And it was illustrated with a photo of the writer in pretty much a bikini on a beach doing handstand splits. I'm like, come on. You know, you're kind of critiquing commercialization, but what are you doing in terms of your imagery? You know, so I think it's like, don't, you know, don't have yoga poses on beaches. Don't have yoga poses in revealing clothes. Don't be, you know, a Lululemon ambassador. Or just be honest that you're a model. I think that's the, the, the trouble we have at being an online presence with, the, with yoga at the, at the front. It's, it's, it is this imagery. It is this, it, this is, to a certain asana, is what, this is what asana looks like. And we've taken that on and gone, people are, you know, people are doing amazing things with their bodies and saying, look. And sometimes it is by sometimes like, oh, it's too much. But I, but I very much like, well, that's never, for me, that was never what, what I felt that we represented or from a still point represented. The, this is called like the, what this event we're having now is what we represented and for, for, for years I was like I'd never put any postures on our website or in any way saying this is a posture I'd never put postures of me on there I'd always thought to myself what, how can I share ima- or the image of your yoga that I want to say that we represent and so it was always about people, all of you guys together you know, and I, I also want to just say one thing. Like, yoga is for people that look good in bikinis as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is the thing is, is you know, it is something about you should be you in your yoga practice. And some people can put their legs behind their head very easily, and that's where they meet themselves. And some people can barely touch their toes, and that's where they meet themselves. And this is really the issue is when we just sort of favor one over the other, then somebody feels excluded. You know, and it, it really should be for everybody. I do suspect that if I looked that good in a bikini, I'd probably do it myself. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Actually, want to circle back because the question was about parampara. <laughs> it's not my word. I would never use the word parampara before this. It's become a part of my vocabulary, but I have to be quite honest with you. I'm not really sure what it means. Um, and when I say that, I mean that quite genuinely. I don't know what it means. I, I could give you a definition, but I don't know what it means to me or or what it means in our world or in our culture. It's something that we've brought over and that we use quite freely and as a defining mechanism for the way we learn. But I sort of go back to Scott's word, which is relationship. And I do enjoy, and I know Greg has said that, and I think you, I hear you guys saying that a lot. Like, if you have the opportunity to develop a relationship, clearly you want to have a relationship with you, right? And the practice is certainly a vehicle to facilitate that. But another human being is certainly that. And that sounds like sometimes social media can also help, right? But also hurt, which means we have no answer there. But... (laughs) I think, but I think this really comes back to I keep what Jock said. I is right, but I keep still come. I was like coming back to your people in Afghanistan, yeah, and going. So we're privileged to be able to be in this society where we can, you know, we can consume in that way. Um, whereas what the internet's done is it's exposed it to so many more people who who are inspired by what's going on in this content. But interestingly. What I was thinking then in the kind of the framework I was going from is um, that someone's reached out to you. So they're forming a relationship. Yeah, so oh, they kind of like, so they, yeah, so they've kind of like, they've seen your content and they've gone, that's affected me. Hello. And how many of you in here have said to me, even this weekend, I feel like I know you? <laughs> right? <laughs> and for God's sake, we're recording a podcast. I know. <laughs> This is like, we're eating ourselves. <laughs> we're eating ourselves. All right, with that, I'm going to, I mean, it, it's a great discussion, and I, I really do think if we stop asking the questions, then, and I have to keep asking myself, because the more you put yourself out there, be forewarned, Greg, yeah. Scott, the more you put yourself out there, the more slippery slope it can be, can actually become. Um, okay, I'm going to take another one here. And... 
was thinking of questions for the spring gathering and it was oh this is a good one the one teacher <laughs> the one teacher is it really enough to bring all the parts of the practice together one teacher um she read jen renee's blog and she said that you can have more than one if you don't get confused oh. <laughs> Jen Renee said you can have more than one. But <laughs> but there are a lot of people that say, what's that saying? Too many, not cooks in the kitchen, but I think it's a worse one. Too many one. doctors yeah, there's death is quickly coming. Yes. <laughs> I'd be dead. <laughs> Go on. Which one of you would like to tackle this? One teacher... As three teachers sit up here? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I could probably say I've only had, I don't know if there's one teacher, there's one teaching. There's this, there's, I'm kind of wrestling with that. One teacher, one teaching. I mean, and then, yeah, with underneath that one teaching, there's many. It's kind of, it kind so of. So you want to change the question? It's, <laughs> well, because I've got, I've had, if I could say I had one teacher, right? I've had one teacher for, for a long period of time. Although, my, um, although, John and Lucy were my teachers. So, they, and and they and then when I learned when I heard my formative years with John, there was John and, and John and Lucy. So I I got so much from both of them. They felt like one person, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that that's quite an interesting kind of play on. Well, they were together in the room. They were they were, um, but I yeah I mean, and yet I've been I've been really. Um, inspired by others. No, so me personally, I've, I've, if we were talking about asana um, and the Ashtanga practice, I've had one teacher who's inspired me to be the practitioner and the, and the teacher that I am, um, predominantly. But beyond that, I've had other teachers who I've, whose work who I've, who've, who's greatly inspired me too. Now, they might not be particularly Ashtanga yoga teachers. They might, they're people... Whose work I read, and, and or who, who, who I connected with in a way that that, that moved me, um, and that for me was the is the the, the point for me is like, am I being moved by someone? Like, how is how is someone how is someone worth? And I mean, when I first started, you go and see. You do the circuit, you go and see David Swenson, you go and see David, you go and see John Scott, you go and see, this was like 15 years ago when those guys were the, the, the main teachers, and you go and see them. But I always came back to the idea, well, John, uh, John's the one who I can really connect with. And then I went down to, I went to Penzance and met Lucy, and I'm like, oh my God, this is a, this is a dynamic here. And so there were two teachers, but there was a one teaching behind that. But, um, and it moved me. So much that I thought, I, I don't really need to look elsewhere. I knew who my teacher was, um, or teachers. Um, and it took about, probably about eight to ten years before I started to look beyond that and go, and, but be open to receiving stuff, other stuff that made me go, ah, like, that, that made me inside find something deeper that like, connected me more to myself. So there wasn't me going, it's got to be this way. I'm very much like, and I say to my students, like, how, how do you, how does someone capture your imagination? For me, that's what, like, for that, for me, that's what, it's like teacher trainings, right? Like, there's so many teacher trainings these days. Someone comes to me and says, I want to do teacher training. And I'm like, do the one that makes you feel so connected to it, that that's what you want to do. Because, so, that, so for me, I, I mean, for me, having the one teacher, for me, made like a real connection. But I, but I also allowed myself to just see what inspired me beyond that as well. You just recently had Eddie Stern out here. Yeah. Did you learn from him? Yes. How did that play with your teachers? Does that, does that, like, how does, I mean, I'm asking a very real question because I get, emails a lot from people was that something that your teachers would have had a hard time with would john and lucy had a hard time from you learning from eddie no 
But also, I mean, I want to say at still point, we have three or four teachers in the room who I who I have as like equals. So I say, I say to the teachers who who come and, and like when I'm teaching with you guys, that but and I say, teach them, teach how you feel. I mean, I think we're all on the same page, and I think with that relationship, the students who come to Steel Point have three or four different ways of trying to access the same thing. And I think, I don't know, that from my perspective, I, I see that as valuable for me. Then it doesn't become about me, it becomes about the space. And that's the thing which is like Steel Point represents. So I'm there at the front saying, yeah, come, come do this. And, and, and I'm, you know, carrying the thing, but at the same time say, when you come meet, meet, meet these guys too. But what happens when you say to do it one way and somebody else in the room says to do it another way and then you never try either way, really give either way a chance? Does that ever happen? Like the contradictions? Yeah. We work, we, we work the contradictions out as teachers. So there's kind of like, if I, if, if there's, if they've, like for Andy, who I teach, has got one way and I've got another way, we talk about it and we go, well, how's this? You know, we look at it through a student and through talking and say, and we have a, a, a dialogue about how it's worked. <clears throat> Do you decide? No. <laughs> we, we see how, we don't, we just see how, how something plays out together or how, or like something what I might say might work, something and, and not in the way that Andy says doesn't. Or something I might Andy does might work, and something I might doesn't. I'm pu- I'm going to push you on this a little bit yeah. because because this is the feedback I hear from people it, with this in regard. In regard, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to jump in here, Greg, in a second because. Um, so what I hear is that how if if I'm I have a general or a teacher has a general plan for a student right, and they they're working at it in steps. And this is what a teacher would say, like, I'm working with that person. I'm, you know, their teacher. Right. So I say, you know, you do it this way. And it's a very different approach than what you have. And you come in the next day and tell them to do a different way. Mm. They can never try this way because anything you try that's new usually feels awkward in the beginning. So if they go back and forth, they never actually get to try one way or the other. This is the, this is the argument that comes yeah. and that the student gets confused and does and feels. And I have had in this, not from still point ever, but from other studios and they're usually in the USPS, just so you know, <laughs> of like different teachers. Even one teacher comes in, uh, gives a pose Another teacher comes in, same studio, takes it away. Um, I, I, this happens. It really, you're laughing. I just have no, to put this in perspective for you, what, what goes on. I'm being real for the podcast and for you that yeah. this might not happen here, but what happens is or somebody comes in and says to do it one way, or if, if, you're, if you're Amanda's teacher and Amanda goes to see Greg, then, she, then you're, you, get, you kick her out. You say no. You don't want her, or like, and you know what I mean. This happens in studios, uh, within the same studios, within communities, and part of me, I'm like going, "Oh my god!" Right? And you probably are thinking that too. And on the other hand, there is a very real confusion that can happen when different instruction is given for a student. So I'm asking how you handle both. I think that this whole conversation is very teacher centric. You know, like, and this is the old paradigm that we're trying to break down this weekend. It's, it's really about the student. And so, you know, we can have all the plans we want, but if the student isn't included in that process, what are we really talking about here? You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, the, I think the new, you know, if we're talking about an evolution or a new paradigm of how Ashtanga Yoga can be taught, it's, it's student-centric. Yeah. It's... it's, it's um, you know, again, if, if a student feels that they need somebody who's going to be an authoritarian, that's between them and their chosen authoritarian. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, all of this talk about relational and this type of stuff means that you have to have, you know, it's an agreement between the teacher and student. Here's my plan. Here's based on my experience. Here's my best educated guess about a path forward for you. What do you think? You know, and I'll be there with you while we work through that. And, and if Scott comes in and he says, you know, I think something different, then, you know, we can both kind of plead our case and then the student gets to decide. <laughs> yeah. 
And so, you know, and we're still quite, I mean, I, you know, we're not just a, a day, a, a weekday, or ongoing Charlotte, morning Charlotte, but we also run workshops, hence here we are here. <laughs> and so I felt very much uh, a responsibility, because I was thinking it as a student, of how can I, I need to invite teachers, because I like doing workshops, I think it's really rich, bringing different, different viewpoints in. But I wanted to bring viewpoints in who... Um, who embody or, or what we represent, or who aren't, who are kind of in the same on the same page, if you like? Because I think if I bought, if I was a studio and I brought in all these different teachers, there would be a lot of confusion. Mm. Because ultimately, everyone comes back daily and works with us in the morning. And so, if for example, if Greg comes, Greg comes for and does a week of my soul, and they're running the same time as. Um, still point in the morning classes and we get so half of our students go we have a conversation about the students beforehand mm. the same when David the, David comes and same when John comes so that we try and keep that as best we can the fluidity between us so that we're trying to sing from the same song sheet mm. I, I'm, I'm going to answer questions I'm just going to give you a little idea of where I came from because I'm going to speak as a student I don't have a daily shala, and I, I teach online. I already established this. <laughs> and I get to come visit some people that are super nice and invite me. But um, my, the way I began in a Mysore room, besides, you know, David Kyle came in, and he's, he is the one who converted me. And it was through five mornings of Mysore. But then he left. <laughs> so he left me with this self-practice that I was supposed to continue and, um, and I wasn't at the place where I was going to do it alone in my house, right? I mean, I, I definitely needed the support of a community or something. But the shala that I went to had two teachers, and they taught very differently. And depending on where you sat your mat was where your alliance was shown. <laughs> You're laughing. That is the way it went. And if you put your mat in the middle, and one of those teachers claimed you and not the other... You could be fought over in the middle of the room. It was, do you know what it's like to be a student and have to choose? It's like choosing between your parents and you're showing one favorite. And if you showed the other one favorite and you didn't, and you, this is how literally, right? This is, I mean, and I'm telling you as a student because I was the student. And it, and I, so I'd gone from this beautiful, idyllic, you know, like David Kyle, 15 people. It was like lovely, exactly what we're talking about, this relationship. And he saw me and I learned and made me learn names of the poses and everything. And then I walked in and I had to choose very quickly which side of the room I would lay my mat. And if you went to another teacher, then you would no longer get poses from the teacher that was there because you'd chosen elsewhere. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, like you're looking at, I just want you to know it's real. <laughs> like, oh, because yeah. I've had it ex- experience and um, unsurprising maybe or surprising to you, I am the product of many teachers. I am not a one teacher. I'm alive to tell you that that is, that is me. And I've had amazing amazing influences. So I would say, because all of us are going to answer based on our experience, right? Do you realize that that's what we're all, so we're like, we're saying that this is a panel discussion, but there's no like real answers because we're all speaking from something that we've experienced. So it's unsurprising that I've developed amazing, beautiful relationships with teachers. And I'm so lucky that I have so many bright lights in my life that I've been influenced, but I don't find it confusing. I was asking the questions to poke. Well, so because have, I, you, yeah. have you got, do you feel you've ever had one teacher, like who you've gone, like with your heart and connected to? So now I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I want to be. Oh, I hate this. Turn it around. I wanted to have one teacher because that's the legitimate way. What that person just asked was exactly the way I was taught was that that's the way it was supposed to be. And I really have always wanted to be legitimate, you know? And so I wanted to find a teacher and I was too quick to say my teacher. Mm. I found the one, right? And it it happened really, and I was so happy because finally, finally I could say I had a teacher 
I was one of you. <laughs> I got to be part of the club. And, um, and it ended really badly. Really badly. It's like your first love that, like, mm-hmm. right? You know? And it's like, I'm never going to get in a relationship again. And, um, and I felt more alone than ever. Because now I'd lost my teacher and my community. And I was alone. And... Um, I had friends and I had other people, but I'd already chosen my teacher. So now I'd already committed to one and I couldn't really look to anybody else, right? I'd already had, it's not David Kyle, just you know. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, if not for him, like carrying me through, I think it, it, I would have been really kind of lost. But I, um, yeah, I didn't. So I think that was the time though, when I lost the one person, when my practice became mine. That was the first time. It was weird. It was like I either had to decide, was I going to be part of this and like go find another one? And I remember I was in Mysore when it ha- like when this happened, it was really close to me being in Mysore. And I remember people coming up to me going, so is Shrat your teacher now? And, and I was like, man, I just met him. Like, I mean, it's like, cool. I think he's a nice guy. But now I'm like, you know, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Will I go too far and be a commitment phobe now. Like, we, like I won't ever commit to any one teacher and like I'll always be podcasting around and like, you know. I, I don't know and have the answer for you, but I can tell you that when I lost everything, I gained everything. It was a really rough year. But in that year, I had to make decisions. And I decided that I loved the practice whether I got to be legitimate or not, whether I would ever have my teacher, whether whether I did it the right way or if I was a patient and going to die, I really love my practice. And so it, it was very scary. At first, the first year I grieved and the second year was just scary. And, um, and, and now I think I'm getting to a place where I sort of accept maybe that it's okay. Like I have beautiful relate. If I keep going back, I'm going to keep saying Scott's and relationship is a Scott's word, but it sort of is because you use it all the time, but I have beautiful relationships and maybe that's, I'm not confused and I get different information. I've, um, go, you know, I've, when I am asked, like, am I a traditional teacher or non-traditional, you know, this whole BS question. Um, you know, like I always say, like, I'm a, I'm a non-traditional traditionalist, you know, like. <laughs> I love the way you guys squeeze a word. Because I believe in tradition. I, I value it. But at the same time, like, tradition has got this thing about authenticity and, and whether you're legitimate or, or not. And I'm going to give you a little clue to my success as a workshop teacher, whatever amount of success that may or may not be. But one of the things that I realized was that what I travel around to do is, you know, it's, it's not to go and share a bunch of techniques. It's just to give people permission. <laughs> and so I just kind of walk around and say, like, well, what do you feel? You know what I mean? And, and this type of thing. And, you know, and, and I found that people really respond to that because people are really confused. What's the right way? I was just in this workshop and person said that. What's the, this person said that? And I say, well, what do you think? And, and people are like, wow, he's really brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, this is, <laughs> but this is, I think, you know, just coming back to this idea of, you know, maybe a new paradigm is when people are introduced to yoga in all of our intro classes, you know, maybe we, you know, explain to people what is the expectation on them as a new student. Like, you know, it's not that you follow one teacher and you stick to the count and you do that, but, you know, that you're expected to, you know, that, that it's okay for you to make decisions around your practice, that it's okay for you to, to not be okay with the instruction you're getting, you know, these types of things. And let the student kind of drive their own progress, you know, and we're there for sure because we sit with information that, that new students don't have yet. But it's, it's for them, you know. Um, and I think that's, that's an important part of the new student's training that is oftentimes neglected. It's teacher-centric. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, to me, it only becomes a problem when the, 
if the teacher makes it a problem, actually, mm. Mm. <laughs> um, it, it's not, you know, I, I know various different ways that I might get into a particular posture, but it's when, if, if a teacher that I'm working with in a workshop says to me, no, I don't know why they told you that way, forget that, you're going to do it this way this week. Mm. <laughs> um, and maybe that is about, they want me to just see another way of doing it, and that's fine, but... Um, yeah, then I go away and I figure out how I feel was, you know, what, what feels comfortable for me. Um, so it's and you problem. practice at home? Mostly. So that's, that's an important clarification. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but also legitimacy. Legitim what is this thing called legitimacy? Mm. This is something that's, you know, conferred by other people. I mean, it's what, yeah. <laughs> Who's legitimate? Who's not legitimate? What's what's tradition? It's, it's invented. But this is what we do, and I think we're trained at, to it from a very, very early age, is to seek validation outside of ourselves. And yoga ultimately is to help us find validation internally, you know, uh, ideally, I hope. But I think what we do is we tend to just run that program over and over again through our yoga practice. Mm -hmm. Carmen? Um, just picking up on what uh, Greg was talking about earlier. Um, recently, I've started uh, talking about um, permissive yoga. Mm. So it's kind of giving people permission to kind of find their own way. So it's about empowering people. You know, personally, I've had different teachers. Some of the teachers, what I've learned from them is how not to teach <laughs> and not to practice. And uh, this is someone I'm referring to who Scott knows. But um, I think it's like, you know, we need different sources. You know, mm. we're such like complicated people with all these different circumstances. So to expect one person is going to fix us. I think it's just wrong. It's like you don't necessarily take your car to a plasterer. You take your car to a car mechanic and you ask the plasterer to do the plastering. But it's like getting different ideas from different, different people. And it's also, I think there's a danger of it's like this kind of expectations of like this one teacher is going to sort me out. This one teacher is going to solve everything. And it's putting this teacher up on this pedestal. All this, are oh, they going to do it for me? And this, I personally think can be a recipe for problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if, if I can just one, you know, like, like I was also, I, I was raised in a permissive environment, you know what I mean? And actually I think that's why Ashtanga Yoga was really useful for me. <laughs> you know, like it, structure is really good. You know what I mean? It, it, for me, it's been incredibly beneficial. You know, um, I don't know what I would do without structure. Too many choices can, you know, can just lead to you, you lose your way, you know. Mm -hmm. So it can be nice. But again, it's, it's the way that that structure is held and conveyed. You know what I mean? Like, as long as you recognize that it's a tool and it's a useful tool, but, but we don't want to get, we, we don't want to, we, we don't want it to become a prison, you know. Mm. This sort of is a segue into the next question that comes up, and it's, it's sort of the same in, in some ways, kind of ties together the, the other two, but um, it says, this person says, I've been practicing daily since eight years ago. For the first four years, I was practicing with the same teacher, but he moved to Bali, not LA. Um, so I've changed teachers for several times ever since. What I want to ask is we all know that guru is human. There's another word I kind of wish we would just like stop using. But And sometimes they make mistakes too. If they made mistakes, should we tolerate their mistakes? Which in my case is one against the Yama Brahmacharya. So I'm going to infer that there's, um, yeah. And should we keep practicing with them or move away to find a new teacher? Holy crap. I think, I mean, I think what we're saying is, is that you have a, first of all, I'm not going to use the word guru. I'm just not. If I'm going to use it, I'm going to talk about my mom or my dad because they're about the closest I have to any kind of real understanding of it. And I'm just saying that out loud. Whether you have a different experience, that's fine, but that's mine. Um, so I'm going to say teacher, but we're, we're flawed. Like every teacher is flawed. In fact, I think our humanity is so much of a gift. Um, I, I the, my biggest mistakes have taught me the greatest things. Like I was, I just pray that like people will forgive me from like eight years ago, and that you'll forgive me five years from now. You know what I mean? Like there, there's that feeling that I definitely trip up a lot. When is a mistake too much? When do you change? What, what is the, what is the line? How? 
do you, do you, because we all do make mistakes, every teacher's gonna make mistakes, how long do you stay or do you stay? That's, that's the question, and I'm gonna pose it to these two um, because you're all looking at me like, oh my God, because <laughs> it's a hard one, right? It's really difficult. <laughs> it's super difficult. It's so, it's so, it depends what we're teaching when we're saying we're teaching yoga. Um, it depends how, I mean, yeah, we're all flawed. Depends when we say we become a yoga teacher, what that means um, and what that represents to the people who you are teaching. Um, I, I, I find it really tricky. I mean, what am I, what am I, I, I think that I know what I'm trying to convey and I, what I'm trying to embody when I try and, when I want to convey that. Um, and then there's the, there's the, there's the students who come and the practitioners who come who are there to receive perhaps that where, what, what I'm trying to convey in the way that I'm trying to convey it. Um, I, I, I think it's really hard because I am flawed. <laughs> We're all flaws. Um, and I think I definitely, I mean, for me, if, 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 if I ever felt or if I felt that a boundary had been crossed or I'd crossed a boundary, um, I, I couldn't again carry on and say in myself and go and hold myself up as someone who could say, this is what I think, but this is the way to, to be. So for me, there's an ethical, there's an ethical way of my response, my responsibility in the role that I put myself in. Um, I think that's really, I mean, for me, that's really important. It, it does go into the previous question, but it also kind of plays around with the current dynamic in, in the Ashtanga yoga world. Um, in the, I would, I would say, I mean, if a student came to me and said there's a problem with the teacher in the context with what your, your um, questioner asked, I would say, I think you should find another teacher. Sexual misconduct, then. We're going to say that straight out. Yeah, I think Sexual find, misconduct I think, is something... Um, so is it is it a boundary to if a teacher is having an affair with a student? I mean, I think that there is an inherent power differential in the teacher-student relationship, um, and we in one of our many conversations this weekend privately, we we discussed you know. Um, I feel as a teacher that I am, if I can see it, because I can't always, but if I can see it, I'm responsible for the projections that the students put onto me. I'm responsible not to, uh, not to take advantage of that. And that is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, and I realized this earlier in my life, um, probably because, you know, I... Uh, not necessarily in a, in a teacher role, but realizing that maybe I had a tendency to take advantage just when I could tell somebody had a, a crush on me and I wasn't as interested in them, but um, I could, you know, maybe uh, take advantage of their crush on me to, you know, have situations in my favor, you know, um, and realized at some point that that's really not ethical, that, that I can't, you know, just because... You know, somebody says, I love you. If I don't feel the same way back, I can't encourage that love for, out of self-interest. And I think that that dynamic is true in the classroom. You can, and, and I, you know, it might be possible to have a relationship with a student and have everybody be, but I wouldn't feel comfortable as a teacher that I could be that discerning, you know. And so that's where I would have to say, like, Maybe it's possible, but I think it's highly unlikely that that's a balanced and equal relationship. And so I would have to call that a no. <laughs> I am going to answer, too, as well. And I'm going to say I feel very strongly about it. Mm -hmm. And that if you're actively in a behavior, engaged in a behavior that is destructive to students and potentially dangerous, that 
if a student came to me, whether it was happening with them or not, I would say step away, step away. That yes, you have permission. I'm gonna put it right out there on record. You have permission. There are certain boundaries that should not be crossed. And I think the yoga room should be a safe room. And I don't think there should be any innuendo of sexual misconduct. I don't think if it's around you, it doesn't have to be you. I understand that teachers are human. I'm human, but there are levels of mistakes. If someone is engaged in active alcoholism or drug abuse, it has no room. I am not saying that there isn't forgiveness and that we don't hold a relationship with the person, but they are not your teacher. That you cannot be a teacher if you are actively engaged in a behavior that is destructive and I'm going to say it amoral. <laughs> I, I agree, but but you were saying that you know I think the question was not not the question yeah. coming through the no. podcast, but oh. the the question that you were posing was: Is it inherently immoral for a teacher and a student to enter into a consensual relationship? Oh right? no, no, actually, I was asking the other. I was asking this one. Oh if uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. If there, well, I'm saying one. I'm saying yes. If there's even I mean, if there's a, I'm not saying, let me, let me clarify, because it's a good question, is, is that if there's a teacher and a student that ends up over time that something happens, I'm like, you know, that, that's totally, that's different. Do you, do we understand that? Is that okay with, but if you have like a married teacher or, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put it right out there. Like a man, like, you know, a married teacher or a married student um, or a teacher that habitually Date students. I mean, there or are things just you fall in. Flirting like, in things. the classroom. Don't use your yoga to flirt. Like it's <laughs> just not okay. Right? Nobody wants to see it. You know, and it changes the energy for everybody else. It changes else. the energy. Yeah. There's a difference between something you you meet somebody, and of course, if by the way, if you're a yoga teacher, you have no life. Like, like that is the only. And if you're a young single yoga teacher, you like seriously have no life. And um and but but I think what this person is talking about is that a bound, it wasn't, and I've seen it happen. Like, you know, and, and, and do you know what I'm talking about? Like, this is not something that's uncommon in the yoga world. And it happens. And because of that, I think we have to remain vigilant. But yet, a lot of times students will say, well, it didn't, it, it was happening around me. I mean, you know, and... I don't know. Or maybe like, well, I don't think they like taught this, this was legit. Again, I don't think they were, they were high when they were teaching. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or drug abuse. I'm not kidding. Like, and I'm saying this, I'm saying this out loud because we are on a recording because people are asking the question. And a lot of times these rules and myths about Ashtanga yoga, about having to have one teacher and, and having to really stick with that relationship that that overrides this like common sense thing <laughs> there's a far bigger myth there's the myth about crazy wisdom you know that that the the teacher is doing this to push your buttons to test your boundaries to you know and yeah yeah, yeah. like this kind of stuff yeah. you know and and that's i mean that's that's ludicrous <laughs> so the this is the only one we've come up with a good answer by the way just so you know <laughs> <laughs> You can move away <laughs> to the person that asked us. <laughs> You're allowed to move away. Um, and yeah, um, I will say that I have gone into more ambiguous. The more ambiguous ones are the, are the harder ones. But because the person mentioned brahmacharya, I wanted to like make yeah. sure that we came down on that. Then there are other ones where you struggle in a relationship and they're a lot more complicated where there's a struggle and just like any relationship and I don't know that I have a clean answer for that. That's something that... I think you had a really clean answer. You know, if if the teacher is doing harm to the student, then it's another. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like when you first get in any relationship with somebody, you know, when you first meet them, you, you put them up on a pedestal, you look at them with rose-colored glasses, you know, date a couple of years and you start to see some flaws. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's okay. If it's about realizing that your teacher is a flawed human being, that's normal. You know, as a matter of fact, I think it's it should be encouraged um, that the teachers are very transparent about their humanity and about their flaws. They should practice with their students. They should, you know, these types of things. 
Um, but you know, if it's something where you in that relate, if you are in a dysfunctional relationship with a teacher where you are actually being held back or not thriving, you know, if there's something in you, if you're having to write and ask that question, yeah, yeah. you know, then, then I think you have There's to answer to itself really, isn't yeah. it? You know, that's it. I just wanted to say that I think that's where it can be a little bit tricky again with Ashtanga, going back to what we talked about yesterday and the adjustments and the hands-on and the touching where things can get more carried away, possibly over other styles of yoga. I think that's where, when it comes to sexual, when there's, because there's a lot of physical contact. I'm specifically talking about Ashtanga. I, I know this is going to sound weird to say to you, but I've been teaching for a really long time, and I swear there's never been, like, <laughs> and I'm pretty hands-on, I think, right? I mean, like, it... It, it really does. I, I know it seems like that maybe from the outside, but simply touching doesn't, if you know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm always afraid to go that direction. Your comment there that it's, it's only a slippery slope if there's already. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's like, oh, never mind. I'm going to use a terrible example and I can't do it on tape. I just stopped myself. That was incredible restraint. Well done. Um, thank you. <laughs> You, um, it provides the playground if that's already a, a thing. Yeah. You can go to a kirtan <laughs> you, yeah, and have, you know, have yeah. this issue. <laughs> you could go to the afternoon shy in my store and have this. <laughs> it does, but I do hear what you're saying. But I think that's why it's so important that we remain vigilant about it. Because it has to stay clean. Because I actually believe, I didn't say this strongly yesterday, but I do believe in that touch. I believe in so strongly. Like, I, I really, I thrive on it. Babies thrive on it. We thrive on it. Mm-hmm. That human interaction is so powerful. Mm-hmm. I don't want to lose it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm willing to protect it. But, uh, you know, and I think this is, again, you know, we know when we're being violated and i think that that's where we need to you know as as john said like it's great when somebody says how did that feel because it encourages you to do that little body scan and say am i am i tense after that am i walking into this room afraid you know what i mean or do i you know because what we're asking of each other is that we go into this room and we are really vulnerable with each other you know what i mean if you don't feel comfortable to do that then there's something off there's something wrong Going back to the vulnerability thing, you know, I used to work with a teacher who used to take me to super deep back bend, you know, grab your ankles or whatever. Then, and I just felt like everything was just literally. <laughs> so you feel really vulnerable. I mean, I feel it now just talking about it. And then, and there was no intention, you know, no intention there whatsoever. Then he'd come and lie on top of me, mm. you know, obviously to, you know, reverse the back bend. And I had to work really hard not to project all the vulnerabilities onto him and for the him lying on top of me to become something else. And I had to ask him to stop that. Because he couldn't sense it. He couldn't sense that he was taking me into super deep backbends and while physically I could go there, it wasn't a problem. On an emotional level, it was really opening me up to something that I wasn't prepared for and, you know, so easy to project and go, oh, and now he's lying on top of me, I feel sick, you know. Can I ask and you a question? How did he respond when you asked him not to? He, he was very understanding. And Lovely. I just said, you've taken me into a very deep place. And before you do that, I want you to ask me if I want to go there. <laughs> I like but the he, way you just modeled that. That's really good. So he took you into a really deep place. And you said, you, you expressed that to him. Did you do that in the room or after the class was over? Uh, no, in the room. In the room, right then and there. Good. You didn't wait any space. There was no space that went on. Well, you know, the second time it happened. So the but that was time, but it was yeah. okay. You did it in the moment, though. And I yeah, think yeah. that's really important. So you did it in the moment. You didn't let too much space go by because this is what happens. We allow ourselves to be talked out of something we're feeling. You said, I'm uncomfortable and I would like you to ask me. So you told him how you felt yeah. and told him what you would like him to do in the future. And it was hard, you know. Very hard. practicing for ages at that really point. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. it was just like because... My thing is, I walk into your room, therefore, I kind of surrender to your teaching. Mm-hmm. 
But at the same time, I had to kind of really grind myself and go, actually, what you're doing is not right for me. You know what I, I really, what I really love about it too was you didn't say, don't touch me like that. Or, you know, you said, ask my permission. You know what I mean? So it gives that sort of thing that, you know, like I, maybe I wanted it and, and maybe I don't sometimes and I'll tell you. That's a great thing for teachers to know. And after that, great. Fine, he would ask and I'd go, yes or no. And anybody listening, I want, I want like, like you guys here, but anybody on the podcast right now listening, there were three things. A, you didn't let a lot of space go by. That was really important that you addressed it in the moment. Two, you had the words. This is how it makes me feel. Three, you told him what you want him to do in the future. And that was, those are the three things. It, I am uncomfortable. You don't have to have a reason. Being uncomfortable is reason enough. That's it. There's no accusation or anything in there. Number two, the next one is what I would like you to do. Please ask before. And that, and that's, and it's perfectly reasonable. I love the way the teacher responded. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is, that's how, that is how relationships develop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't, they actually develop over these difficult times. Like mm-hmm. the, when you have a very difficult conversation, that's when you really get to see who someone is, mm-hmm. you know, cause obviously in that moment you would have learned very quickly if the teacher would have said, what? You know, and got be very defensive or then it would have given you more different information. But by saying absolutely, you know, agreeing to your terms, that was important. But I think I think Nami also said that it really interested me. Like I into the room and I surrendered to his teaching. Well, you know, I mean, yeah. and then at one point, I just said, actually, in the same way that I'm learning from you, you need to also learn from me. Yeah. And this <laughs> is not right. And so, yes, there's this kind of like, so who could steal point surrenders to my teaching? <laughs> Okay, so we can actually say this, but now it's still more for sure. <laughs> it's because that's the... I mean, there's a whole lot of things we could go off and, you know, in a tangent, but then it comes into, you know, labels to the difficult student. You know, that <laughs> yeah, but yeah. That's, that's what I want to really yeah. applaud you for, because the way they handle that is, is amazing. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody handle it quite like that. It's, you know, that... Because I think that one of the fears might be that if I say no, that I will never get it again. And sometimes I might want it and sometimes I don't. And I don't want to lose the privilege, you know. And you just said, like, I'll let you know. I Bravo. That's <laughs> the reason why I repeated it was because that's what happens is that we're often faced with situations. And we don't know how to handle them in the moment. And so we become like the deer in the headlights. Mm. And then we leave and what happens? We talk ourselves out of it. There's some space. We might never go back, you know, because we don't want to put ourselves in the situation. But then you could not be that teacher that you were in that moment, in that, you know, teaching teaching back or teaching. Because really what you're teaching is more about you. If you're to develop a relationship, he needs to know about you, like what you're comfortable with. But I really like that you broke it down into those three steps because if we could all remember that leaving this room, then maybe when we find ourselves in a situation, whether it's in a yoga room or anywhere, that we immediately, that immediacy of addressing, saying how we feel and what we would like to see going forward in those words, uncomfortable. I love that word because I I use it all the time because it's a really good word. That tells you how you feel and you don't have to explain it or justify it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're uncomfortable. And then giving the explicit directions of how to go forth and I just really, really enjoy that because that just teaches everyone here and listening. That is a really effective way to deal with those moments that you don't. You probably can't even always explain why you're feeling that way, and you don't have to. Um, that was good. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you very much. I am overwhelmed by your honesty, your openness, um, your sincerity. Uh, the dialogue has been completely educational for me. Hearing your feedback and listening to Greg and Scott, I feel like I've learned a ton. I should pay you. For- <laughs> um, so I, and I really appreciate it because I actually do consider it quite an honor for for Scott to invite me into his family, because that's what he really does speak of this as, um, to welcome me in 
is such a great honor. And for you all to welcome us into your practice and into your life is, is like a privilege. It's a privilege. And it's one I think I hope you hear from all of us that we don't take lightly at all. And um, I just really appreciate it. Thank you. Next year, Still Point Yoga will be 10 years old. And Scott Johnson has promised us a very special anniversary spring gathering. I, for one, can't wait to see what he has in store for us. But in the meantime, I want to leave you with the words of Greg Nardi. He said, at the end of the day, if we're talking about an evolution or new paradigm of how Ashtanga yoga can be taught, it's student-centric. Let the student drive their own progress. We, as teachers, are there for sure, but it's for them. It's really about the student. Thanks for listening. The Ashtanga Dispatch podcast is hosted by me, Peg Mulqueen, with Chris Lucas as our editor and producer. Thank you to all our supporting members through Patreon, for without their generosity, this podcast, it wouldn't exist. If you'd like to help support the show, please visit patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch. That's patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch. Thanks again. And until next time, keep practicing. Sahana vavatu, Sahana bhunatu, Sahavir yang karavavahai, Tejas vinavadhi tamastu, Mavit vishavahai. Shanti 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 Shanti